Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we come together on Wednesdays in order to do meditation together and open up to any and all questions that you guys might have related to the path to enlightenment. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining regularly. Today is our guided loving kindness meditation session where what I've been doing is just rotating between breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. We haven't actually done a loving kindness meditation together for about a good six weeks. So I'm just going to use something just to give you guys a brief little reminder of what loving kindness meditation is. And then we'll actually do loving kindness meditation together and then move into opening up to any and all questions that you guys have related to the path to enlightenment, whether it's meditation or the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, the middle way, the three poisons, the natural law of gamma, anything and everything, anything you're seeing in the news, anything you would like to talk about related to the path to enlightenment, even your own personal challenges that you're experiencing and how to relate these teachings to those. So you're welcome to ask those questions by putting them into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and our moderator will be able to see those. And in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So the loving-kindness meditation that I've taught you guys in the past is helping you to essentially rewire the mind to eliminate anger, hatred, ill will, and those lesser versions like frustration, irritation, annoyance, things like this, even the resentment and negative self-talk that might be in your mind. This can all be eliminated with loving-kindness meditation and then practicing loving-kindness through your intentions, your speech, and your actions in your daily life. This is part of the Eightfold Path. The Buddha teaches about ensuring that there's loving-kindness in your intentions, in your speech, and then of course the actions that he's teaching is to eliminate the anger, hatred, ill will and all those lesser versions, even the slightest little dislike. Even if there's somebody in your life that you just don't like, or you see somebody, you don't even know the person, you just don't like them. This is the mind's craving, of course, but it leads to that anger arising in all those lesser versions, which is even the dislike. An enlightened being doesn't have dislike towards anybody. An enlightened being can reside harmoniously with all beings. Now, all beings may not be able to reside with that person, but an enlightened being would be able to reside harmoniously with all beings. There's nobody in the world that they would even dislike. They would have love and kindness, compassion, 
care for all beings. So the way that you get to that is through practicing loving kindness meditation. And the way that we do loving kindness meditation is I start with chanting to ease the mind into meditation, which I've taught in this program. Then I'll do a brief breathing mindfulness meditation session, about five minutes or so, just to kind of prepare the mind a bit and kind of clear out any clutter that might be there. Then we're going to go into this loving kindness meditation. Then we're going to come out with some more breathing mindfulness meditation and then some chanting to come out of the loving kindness meditation. So it's kind of like a loving kindness sandwich, so to speak. In the middle is the vegetables and the lettuce and tomato, right? So on the outside, you've got the bread and then you've got the sauces and whatever condiments you're going to put on. And then you've got the meat, so to speak, the lettuce, the tomato or whatever it is you like on your sandwiches, right? So the loving kindness meditation, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be saying affirmations out loud. If I was doing this by myself, I would just do them quietly in the mind and I would do this on the out breath. You wouldn't know just watching me and looking at me whether I was doing breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. But because I'm guiding you guys in meditation, I'm going to be sharing the guidance for breathing mindfulness meditation verbally. Then I'm going to be quiet for a period of time. Then we're going to go into the loving kindness meditation where I'm going to be saying these affirmations out loud. May I be peaceful. And when you hear that, whenever you get to your next out breath, You'll just repeat that in the mind. May I be peaceful. It's your practice. So wherever you get to the next out breath, you would say, may I be peaceful. Then I'll say, may I be safe. Again, on your next out breath, you will say in the mind, may I be safe. And then may I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. From there, we're going to do some different rings and kind of expand out. I'll make some different groupings. And I usually try to do something that's applicable to everybody that's in the group. And then ultimately, I get to all beings, which is the last ring, because you're not interested in leaving any beings out whatsoever. Now, in the class, I'm just doing these generalized rings because we're in a class and I need to do something that applies for all of us. But in your meditation, you would like to customize this for your specific needs. So if there's individuals that you have loving kindness for and you would like to cultivate that and ensure you don't allow it to fade and bring that up into the mind more and more, include those people. Maybe your mom or your dad or your brothers or sisters or your life partner or your children. Maybe these are people you already have loving kindness for and you'd like to bring that up further in the mind. Then there might be some people that are more neutral, maybe your neighbors or some coworkers that yeah, you don't really hate them, but you don't necessarily have loving kindness for them either. So you would like to kind of boil this over and bubble this over where you include them as a ring in your loving kindness meditation. And then ultimately you would like to get to the rings where they are people that you might dislike or you're annoyed with or that you have anger or hatred towards. You would like to include them in your meditation so that you're essentially rewiring your mind so that now you can be loving and kind towards those beings. What loving kindness is, is a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. It's active goodwill. But as long as there's craving, anger, and ignorance in the mind, you'll find it very challenging for the mind to be able to have those type of thoughts or that mental quality of loving kindness in the mind towards others. So you're going to need to be able to 
cultivate this in meditation. And then when you go out in daily life, through your intentions, your speech, and your actions, be practicing loving kindness through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. This would involve being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. One of the ways for you to do this is not only in meditation and go out through your intentions, speech, and actions, but if you envision that every being that you interact with at some point in time has been your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, or some other relative, then this can help you to start relating to people as if they are your family, your kin, your own blood. Because there's countless past lives that we've all had. Even if you can't remember those right now and you don't have recall of those, I can assure you that you've had countless past lives. And because of this, every single being that you come into contact with, the Buddha shares that it would be impossible for you to find a being that has not been previously your mother, father, brother, sister, son, daughter, or some other relative. So when you're interacting with the gas station attendant or the cashier or the food server, or you see somebody walking down the street, whether it's a human being, whether it's a bird, whether it's a dog, whether it's a squirrel, whatever it is, you should think about these beings as being your family. And if you can kind of sit with that, and understand that then you can start to maybe wear away those rough edges that you go out into the world if you have those kind of rough edges as you're going out and maybe some resentfulness or disgruntledness or something like this that you're not interested in causing harm to others through your intention speech and actions you might cultivate this loving kindness and meditation but then you practice it going out into the world through your intention speech and actions so we're going to do that in meditation and before we start, since we haven't done loving kindness meditation for a while, I'd like to just pause and see if you guys have any questions on loving kindness meditation. Whether you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can ask those questions by putting them in the comment section. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions you like. And that way, you'll have what you need going into this meditation. And then after the meditation, we'll open up to any and all questions that you might have. It looks like Tony has his hand up. Sorry, Iona, I saw you unmuting there to do your moderation. Go ahead, Tony. Uh, thank you, Teacher David. Uh, question for you, when, when doing the out-breath and, and thinking of uh, the being that, uh, that you want loving, that I want loving kindness for, is there something I should be doing that, visualizing in that, like, uh, or, or just visualize them sitting there, or, or, or how, how does that, like, what should I do with my mind when I'm, uh, giving, sending love and kindness. Thank you, Teacher Dave. Sure. You can. It's not required, but you certainly can. One of the ways that I did this is I envisioned like this syrup, this thick syrup or molasses kind of like coming down on the head and then kind of like enveloping the entire being because the Buddha talks about this in his teachings. He talks about enveloping all beings or encompassing them with loving kindness. So when I used to do this with various people that I needed to 
do loving kindness meditation with, I would envision them sitting there, you know, with my eyes closed, of course, I would envision them sitting there in this molasses, this thick syrup, just coming over their body from the head over the entire body. And this syrup was my loving kindness. And of course, you're not changing the other person. That's not what loving kindness meditation is. But this visualization oftentimes helps you to better rewire the mind so that then when you're around that person, if you've already visualized that in meditation with your words in your visualization, now when you're around that person, you'll find it is easier to be loving and kind with them. Do we have any other questions, Iona? No, at the moment, sir. Okay. Well, if that's the case, let's just go ahead and go into meditation so that I can guide you guys from there. What you would like to do is get a position either seated, lying, or standing. We usually don't do loving kindness meditation in the walking position. It's seated, lying, or standing. And if you're seated, you might just be on the floor with some cushions under your rear. Or if you're in a chair, you might just be sitting with your feet flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles. If you're sitting on the floor, you probably have your legs lightly crossed. You're not interested in them being real tight. That's going to inhibit the circulation and the flow of circulation. So just a light crossing of the legs. Some people like to even stack their legs on top of each other. The hands and the arms, the Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together. And if you'd like to do that, you're welcome to do that because you're going to put that in your lap. But there's other options as well. You could put your palms on your thighs, on your knees. You could put your palms up. If you're in a chair with an armrest, you might even just rest your arms on the armrest of the chair. Essentially, the lower body and the hands and arms should be completely relaxed. The upper body should be erect. You're not interested in being slouched because there the mind can become complacent, but you're also not interested in being real rigid either. If you are very rigid with the upper body, the mind has a tendency to be uptight and overactive or anxious. So you're trying to find this middle way with the body where there's erectness in the upper body, but it's not slouched and it's not real uptight and real rigid. With the lower body, hands and arms relaxed, and the upper body erect, Next, you would like to just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here, you're just establishing the breath. You can stay here with the breath or you can join with the chanting. I'm going to do chanting to ease us into meditation. And then afterwards, I'll come back with some more guidance to help you get further into your meditation.
establishing the breath a nice natural steady consistent breath not forced or controlled just breathing in gradually through the nose experiencing the full breath and then whenever you're ready breathe out through the nose experiencing the full exhale Breathing in, in, out. With the breath well established, fixate the mind on the breath, either the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Whenever you notice that the mind is moved off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. No need to label the thought, observe it, analyze it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Just wherever you notice that the mind is moved off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in in out I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of breathing mindfulness meditation focusing on the breath cutting off and letting go anytime the mind moves off the breath then I'll come back with guidance on loving kindness meditation you have nowhere to go There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. 
This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. In, out. Continuing to focus on the breath. On your next out breath, 
Repeat these affirmations in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May we be safe. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May they be safe.
may they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May my friends and associates be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those who have harmed me be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes.
may all those whom I have harmed be peaceful. May they be safe. free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. peaceful. discontentedness in the suffering it causes. go back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath, breathing in and out.
I would like to just remind you guys, if you haven't heard me share this before, um, or just as a refresher for those of you that have, that uh, part of breathing mindfulness meditation that we're doing at the end of our loving kindness meditation, this is really to help the mind if there's any arisen anger or frustration or irritation or annoyance that's happened throughout the meditation because sometimes as you're doing this loving kindness meditation you can experience some frustration or irritation or annoyance that arises in the mind due to tapping into some of these relationships that you do have anger and frustration irritation in so that breathing mindfulness meditation at the end of the meditation is to help cut that off and let it go so that you can end your meditation with a refreshed mind if you need that use it if you've been cultivating loving kindness in the loving kindness meditation and the loving kindness is permeating in the mind as you get to the end of your loving kindness meditation and you do all beings 
you can just allow that to continue to permeate in the mind and fill up in the mind. You don't need to do that breathing mindfulness meditation at the end. It's just there if you need it. So sometimes you might need it, sometimes you might not. That's impermanence. So that's why it's there and you can invoke it and use it as you see fit based on your needs at that particular time. Each moment is going to be different and observing the mind, having that awareness of mind or mindfulness, you'll know whether you need that breathing mindfulness meditation at the end or not. So I'll open up to all the questions that you guys have. Remember, you can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and you guys can ask any and all questions you like related to your journey to enlightenment, anything you're seeing in the news or anything that you're seeing as part of the study and practice of these teachings, feel free to ask any and all questions. Thank you, sir. There is a question on Zoom from Max. He asks, while we're doing loving kindness meditation, we need to not have craving, desire, attachment to us and others being well, free from suffering, etc. Exactly. You're not craving it. You're not longing for it. You're not yearning for yourself and others to be well. You're cultivating this in the mind that you have a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, including the beings that you include in your meditation practice, knowing that them being well is dependent on their decisions, right? You can't decide to help somebody be well. I mean, you could help somebody if, if they were open to that help, but ultimately they need to do the work. It's their decisions that are going to ensure that they are well. So what you're doing is you're rewiring the mind that you have nothing but a genuine interest in seeing them be well and having this interest in them being well but fully knowing that them being well or not is based on their decisions and what they choose to do. It's about whether they have craving, anger, and ignorance in their mind or not. So this isn't a prayer. This isn't like wishing others are well or hoping that others are well or longing or yearning for it or sending them your good vibes through the air magically or anything like this. This is just really solely deeply cultivating your mind to have nothing but loving kindness towards other beings so that now having cultivated that and rewired the mind when you're around them you can be more loving and kind and gentle as you're interacting with other beings because that's going to permeate in your intentions your speech and your actions and now you won't be creating the unwise decisions that lead to unwholesome karma um he can by saying we need to understand that being well etc is impermanent but we are just offering this kindness to free the mind from anger hatred ill will yes you're liberating your mind you're freeing your mind from any anger hatred ill will and those lesser versions like frustration irritation annoyance and dislike you're freeing up your mind from being burdened with holding on to these feelings of the anger hatred ill will and those lesser versions so if somebody gets to enlightenment they'll permanently be well right but anybody who's in the process of doing that yeah their being well is impermanent it's going to be impermanent but for somebody who has attained enlightenment they're always going to be well it's permanent at that point because everything we experience in life is experienced through the mind so if the mind is polluted 
that means that when you're looking out at the world, you're looking out through this dirty window. And now things can look very miserable in the world. And we can judge people. We can have arrogance and pride. We can be gossiping and slandering. We can be doing all these unwholesome things because there's this dirty window that one's looking out at the world at. And the world can look like a very miserable place. And then anything that you're taking in is going through that dirty window. So if somebody else is having that dirty window meaning the mind is still polluted. Yeah, they're going to be well sometimes and other times they're not going to be well. This isn't the impermanence. But once somebody has attained enlightenment, they've cleaned off that window. They've purified their mind. They've cleaned off all that pollution away from the window. And now when you look out at the world, you're aware that they're suffering. You're aware that there's all kinds of complications. You're more aware, even in the enlightened mental state, that these things are going on. But you're not basing your inner feelings on what is or isn't happening in the world around you. So the mind can maintain its peacefulness and joy and it'll just always be peaceful and joy. The mind will always be well. So what I'm sharing with you is confirming, yes, what you're saying is that people being well is impermanent, but that's as long as they're in the unenlightened state. Once somebody gets to enlightenment, they'll always be well. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question. Could you please talk about sensations during meditation and whether these are of any significance? For example, like a, feeling a surge of energy or joy or feeling like a heat in your body or a tingling, anything like that. These are normal occurrences that happen, particularly as you're developing your mindfulness or that awareness of mind. You're starting to become more aware of all that's going on in the mind and in the body. So if the mind is starting to be aware of these bodily sensations, there isn't any significance to them in terms of if I feel heat, it means this. If I feel, you know, joy, it means that. But instead, what it is, is just the mind is developing more awareness of mind. And this is very helpful. This is what you're going to need to get to is to the point where you are observant of those things, but you're not allowing them to shake up the mind that when you're aware of them in meditation, you can cut them off and let them go. So as you're clearing out the mind more and more, you might experience the peacefulness and joy come into the mind. You might experience some of those bodily sensations that you're talking about. And as you experience those, the mind is observing that they're occurring and you'd like to cut them off and let them go in meditation. And this is going to help you that in daily life, when you have a certain craving in your mind and now you feel the bodily sensations associated with the arising pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant, you'll be aware of it because you cultivated that ability in meditation to be aware of those bodily sensations. And now in daily life, when you are observant of those bodily sensations, you can cut them off and let them go before it becomes a feeling in the mind. So there's bodily sensations that are occurring before the conditioned feeling enters into the mind. Whether it's a pleasant feeling, a painful feeling, or a neither painful nor pleasant, there's going to be some bodily sensation. You may or may not be aware of that right now, but you can cultivate that in meditation, that you can start becoming aware of all those bodily sensations, all the way to the point that you can feel a piece of dust that is just lightly landed on the tip of your nose and it's just sitting there or on the surface of your skin somewhere else in your body. You can feel these little tiny pieces of dust just gradually land on the body. You can be that aware of the bodily sensations. And this is a ability that you're going to need as part of the four foundations of mindfulness because when you're in daily life, 
and a conditioned feeling is about to come on, there's going to be some bodily sensation, whether it's a pleasant, painful, or neither painful nor pleasant. And if you can cut it off as a bodily sensation and let it go, then it won't become a feeling in the mind and you've preserved the mind, you've protected the mind, you've been observant of the mind. And if you do this enough, you'll get to the point where you've eliminated the craving desire attachments that are producing conditioned feelings to arise and they will no longer arise. And this is where the mind's getting very close to liberation and enlightenment when you can observe the bodily sensations and when you can easily cut them off and let them go there, not allowing the mind to experience the conditioned feeling. Within a matter of potentially six months, a year, two years, three years, you'll be able to experience enlightenment if you remain dedicated, determined, and diligent. That is very interesting. Thank Mm -hmm. you, sir. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Um, Christine has her hand raised, so I'll just go to her now. Hello, teacher Dave. Thank you for answering all these questions. Mm -hmm. I have a question concerning my uh, breathing mindfulness meditation practice. I'm doing it really consistently for more than one year now, I think. I've been on and off with a little bit of practice before. And uh, for for the first half year, we were I guess it's more than a year, maybe one and a half, um, that it's really consistent. And it was like one hour a day, but now uh, it's more like two hours a day, sometimes three hours a day in the last half a year, something like that. I'm really bad at time, so this is really uh, not accurate. Um, And when I started doing it, I was doing it in a class and I told us that usually at the end of half a year, we should be able to reach the jhanas. This was absolutely not the case for me at all. And I still have not reached the jhanas at all. And I'm kind of starting to wonder if there's something that I'm doing wrong or if I'm just taking a lot more time and that's fine. Yeah, so it would be unwise for someone to think that everybody could get to the jhanas within six months or any period of time, whether it's one year, two years, or what have you, because everybody's mind is different, and it's not possible to give a prediction that you know all students will get to enlightenment or get to the jhanas or get to some other attainment in a specific period of time, because each student who's joining the path to enlightenment and trying to now start their practice, they're coming to the path with different levels of pollution, and they're starting at different places. So it, it's not possible to say that everybody would get to the jhanas in six months or even a year or two years. If that was possible, it would be permanence. It would mean that, okay, everybody's starting at the same place, everybody's going to progress at exactly the same rate, and everyone's going to attain the same thing at the same time. So if somebody shared this with you, I would say that this is not true because, in my opinion, the jhanas take a lot more than six months for the average person. It would be very rare for somebody to get to a jhana in six months because if you look at what the jhanas are, and this could be a misunderstanding of the person who's potentially teaching what jhanas are. Oftentimes people think that the jhanas are just experienced in meditation, but these are actually mental qualities that the mind is experiencing as a result of putting together the Eightfold Path. So it takes a matter of time and everybody's different depending on 
their role and responsibility in life, you know, what they're doing in life, what their work environment's like, how much time they can dedicate to the path and the level of pollution that they have coming into the path, they're going to need to develop the Eightfold Path. And as you develop the Eightfold Path, you need to learn and practice that real closely. So if you've been mainly focused on meditation and you haven't been practicing all the other factors, this is a reason why someone might not experience the jhanas. But even still, there's not a time frame where everyone should experience the jhanas. The Buddha never taught that. So what you would like to do is it sounds like your meditation practice is fairly well developed, is you would like to focus in on all those steps is make sure it's not just the meditation that you're developing, but you're developing all those other steps. Because if you were just meditating and you weren't practicing right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, in all the others, right? Mindfulness and right concentration, all the different aspects of those, because mindfulness is the four foundations of mindfulness, right? Concentration deals with not only meditation, but it's practicing singleness of mind in daily life where you're just doing one thing at a time. So there's many things that you need to dial in and get closer and closer in each individual factor of the Eightfold Path. And when you put all this together for a significant period of time, you'll see the description of what the jhanas are, which is the minds attaining certain qualities of mind, not in meditation necessarily, but in daily life. It deals with arising mindfulness and concentration and joy and all these other mental qualities that come into the mind. And then there are certain things that the mind is leaving behind as well. So if I was you, rather than focus on whether you have or haven't attained the jhanas, because you'll be able to attain the jhanas if you focus on the Eightfold Path. So if you focus on the Eightfold Path and dial that in, getting to know that inside and out, and anywhere that you're not yet practicing each one of those individual steps, dial that in closer and closer, just stay focused on the Eightfold Path, you'll experience the jhanas. It's only a matter of time before this will happen. Whether it happens in this life or a next life or whether it happens in six months or a year or three years or what have you, don't worry about that because we've all been reborn countless times. So even if it takes you two, three, four, five years to either experience the jhanas or get to enlightenment, that's a blink of an eye compared to how many past existences and how many countless lives that we've had over and over and over again. So if you focus on the Eightfold Path, build that up really, really solidly, dialing in each individual factor, the mind will move into the jhanas at some point. And then what you would like to do is start focusing on the 10 fetters. And that's what will get you into the individual stages of enlightenment. Thank you, teacher David. This was really helpful. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, we have a question on Facebook from Denise. They ask, when someone asks you what religion do you practice, what is the correct answer? Whatever you would like to say, you can say whatever you'd like to say. The way that I look at the Buddhist teachings is I don't look at them as a religion. And you may or other people may, but for me, I don't. Because the way that I think about religion is I think about it as rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship. And that 
there's people who've collected up these teachings, and then there's typically someone at the top who is responsible for an organization that's then disseminating these teachings, and there's certain rules and obligations and requirements, along with rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship, and this is all disseminated out through the world, and now this is a religion. If that's how you think of religion, then the teachings of the Buddha aren't a religion, because there's no rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship that are part of his teachings. While you might see people doing rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship in calling it Buddhism, if you look at the original words of the Buddha and what he taught, he didn't teach any rites, rituals, ceremonies, or worship. In fact, in order to even get to the first stage of enlightenment, an individual would have to eliminate that from the mind where they understand that rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship doesn't lead to enlightenment and it's not going to produce enlightenment. So for me, because I don't consider the Buddhist teachings to be a religion, I will answer this question differently depending on where I'm at. If it's a student, I'm going to share what I'm sharing with you now, that I'm going to help you deeply understand that the Buddha himself wasn't a Buddhist, just like Jesus Christ wasn't a Christian. I would help you understand that, that these are things that were invented later as a label. And now people assign that label based on a collection of teachings. But the Buddha himself wasn't Buddhist. He said, I discovered a better way of life and you can learn that better way of life and you can practice it. What he taught you is the natural laws of existence and how to train the mind to get to this enlightened mental state. So if somebody asks me that's a student, I will share these kinds of things with them and allow them to ask follow-up questions, of course, and dive into this as deep as you like, because as long as the mind is assigning labels to who you are as your self-identity or your self-image, this is another thing that you need to eliminate in order to get to enlightenment. To even get to the first stage of enlightenment, you need to eliminate personal existence view where you no longer identify with things like I am a Buddhist, because as long as you identify with some label like that, then when you hear agreeable things, you're going to get pleasant feelings. And when you hear disagreeable things, you're going to get painful feelings. So if it's a student, you know, there's an in-depth conversation that needs to happen there so that they can understand all the various facets of why it would be unwise to identify with I am Buddhist. If I was filling out paperwork at a hospital and checking into a hospital, it probably is just easier to write Buddhist or check off the Buddhist thing because it's just easy, right? And I'm not there to teach the nurses and the doctors all these different things. They haven't asked me those questions. So I'm just going to check that box that says I'm Buddhist, right? But my mind knows that I am not Buddhist, right? I am not a Buddhist teacher. I fulfill the role of sharing the teachings of the Buddha, right? And I'm practicing the teachings of the Buddha. I'm a practitioner of the path to enlightenment, the teachings of Gautama Buddha, but I don't identify with I am a Buddhist or I am a Buddhist teacher. Because as soon as you allow the mind to do that, if somebody says all Buddhist teachers or all Buddhists are so lovely and so kind and so friendly, you'll get pleasant feelings based on the condition of hearing these agreeable things. But then it's only a matter of time because of impermanence that someone's going to say something degrading and disparaging about Buddhists or about Buddhist teachers. So if you identify with that's who you are, now when you hear that disagreeable speech, you're going to experience painful feelings like anger and frustration and sadness and others. So you can liberate the mind of this identity by just thinking about it as you're practicing the teachings of the Buddha. 
that you don't have to identify with being Buddhist because the Buddha wasn't Buddhist, so therefore you don't have to be Buddhist. But realize that in some cases, it might just be easier to say, yeah, I'm Buddhist, or check off the box at the hospital that you're Buddhist. Or if it's just somebody in passing that, you know, it's easier to just maybe say that and help them know that you practice these things, but your mind doesn't need to identify with that's who you are as a person. Thank you, sir. Those are all the questions for now. Okay. Well, as I've mentioned in other classes, these Wednesdays, we're just going to be rotating back and forth between breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation each Wednesday. This is a time for us to come together to encourage, support, and motivate each other in our meditation practice. And we can have this free form questions where you can ask any and all questions that you like. So Wednesdays are great for that. And we're going to be doing that throughout the rest of the group learning program. On Sunday, I'm going to be in chapter 10 of the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. Chapter 10 is titled, What is Merit? Now that we've been learning, we're progressing chapter by chapter each Sunday. And this is something that you're going to need to learn is what is merit. And I'm going to be helping you to understand that as part of our class coming up this Sunday. So you're welcome to join either live or listen to the replay on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. And you can also join here in Zoom as well. And then, of course, on Saturdays, we have the Polycanon and English study group that you're always welcome to attend that as well. So thank you all for your dedication and your determination and diligence to learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha. I appreciate that today is a day that you decided that you would like to learn the teachings of the Buddha because this is helping you, it's helping all those close to you, and it's helping all of humanity. So thank you so much, and we'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.